prayer changes everything. And I just realized I spelt everything wrong. <laughs> I should uh, get that fixed. Okay, <coughs> and this morning's message really is prayer changes everything. Last week we talked about how prayer is praise and thanksgiving. And even in the way that Jesus taught us to pray, um, he taught us that we should start by praising our Heavenly Father because He is not like us. He is completely worthy of our adoration. And praise gets our minds in the right spot. It gets our hearts in the right spot. And it acknowledges that we serve a God who is so far above. He's set apart. He is holy. And He is worthy of our praise. We talked about how praise has to do with who God is and thanksgiving has to do with what He does and those two often get intermixed because God often shows who he is by what he does. And, this week, and last week I challenged you that in your quiet time to incorporate a little bit of music. To not just race into the scripture and into the prayer, but to make time to worship. To make time to really praise our Heavenly Father. And so this morning we're talking about how after we've praised him and after we've given thanks, um, why do we pray? And what difference does prayer make? And does prayer really make a difference? And one of the questions I asked was, uh, why does God ask us to pray? I put it in our social media. I put it on our messages. Why does? Because we serve a God who is all-powerful. We serve a God who is, just a sec, please. Um, we serve a God who is all-powerful. We serve a God who is all-knowing. So why do we have to ask an all-knowing God for our prayer requests? Why do we have to, um, why do we even bother praying? Isn't the all-powerful God just going to do what he's going to do anyways? Um, and so this morning I want to answer that before I get into um, more of it. But it really it comes down to what God said about us in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.26 says this. He has created everything. Five days of creation has been accomplished. He has just finished creating the, bird, or the creatures of the earth on the sixth day. And then he gets to the pinnacle of creation. And he says this. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry on the ground. God announces that he is going to <coughs> hand over, um, not hand over, he's going to put man in charge. And by doing this, he doesn't, God doesn't remove himself. He doesn't create man and give him the authority to care for creation and say, okay, good luck, this is your problem now. God is still the owner. He is still the creator. He is still the all-powerful. It's still his will that's going to be accomplished. But God has chosen to limit himself and allow his will to be exercised by human beings. And so this is why God calls us to be in relationship. This is why we're supposed to be connected to him because he's still very much involved. He's still very much a part of what's happening on this earth. But he has given man the authority and given man the responsibility to to care for creation, to, to be the bringers of God's will. <clears throat> and this was a great plan when man was pure and innocent and was connecting to God, but we all know what happened. Man fell, there was the sin, we ate of the fruit, sin came in and corrupted us, and 
But God still honors the plan. God still limits Himself. Could He just show up and start taking over and start making things right? Absolutely. But God has continued to limit His involvement and has chosen instead to wait for man to accomplish it. And one of the ways that man accomplishes the will of God is through prayer. And so as we, when we know this, then we, it starts to make sense certain stories in Scripture. Right after this, <coughs> we have Abraham and Lot. We have the story, God comes, speaks to Abraham. He's looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah are so rampant with sin, he wants to destroy it. And so Abraham prays to God. He beseeches God and says, God, won't you save Sodom and Gomorrah if there's one righteous person? If there's 50 righteous people, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And, and there's this whole story, and eventually what ends up happening is because Abraham prays, God sends angels to pull a lot out before the cities are destroyed. It's because God has chosen to wait for the prayers of his people that Israel, at the height of frustrating God, is about to be destroyed, and Moses steps in the gap and says, God, if, don't do this. Don't destroy your people that you just saved through the miracles of the plagues and the Red Sea. Don't do this. And God spares the people because of Moses' prayers. In the New Testament, we have the story of Peter in prison and, we just, and the angel comes into the prison and he busts open the door and he guides Peter out um, and he arrives at the door and we discover that the church is gathered in his house and they're praying. And they're praying for Peter. They're praying that he's going to get out. And so we discover that God answers this prayer by opening the doors of the prison and leading Peter out. And so what does it mean for today? Because I think one of the questions that often gets asked by believers and unbelievers is why isn't God doing more? We look around our world and there's corruption, there's injustice, there is this abandonment of objective truth. There's just, there's so much wrong. And so often people are wondering, well, why isn't God doing more? Why doesn't God step in and do what only he can do? And it's interesting because Isaiah in chapter 59 looks down, is prophesying on behalf of God and he records something very similar. I think we can relate to what Isaiah is talking about. So Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, says, yes, truth is gone and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. I think we can relate to this. Truth is gone. Anyone who stands up against evil gets renounced. He gets silenced. You know, cancel culture. God looks down and he says there's no justice. Injustice is rampant. We relate to what Isaiah is talking about here. And Isaiah goes on to say this. He says, speaking about the Lord, he says he was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his and sustained <clears throat> and his justice sustained him. That word intervenes was actually better translated as interceding. God looks down at the injustice at, in Israel's time. The injustice, the lack of truth, the, all that is wrong. And God says, why aren't my people praying? Why aren't my people doing the one thing they can do? 
And I can't help but wonder if God looks down on earth and he's wondering the same thing. As injustice and sin and death and all these things are rampant in our world and God looks down and he sees it. He sees the abandonment of truth. He sees the abandonment of justice and all these things that he stands for. As people ask, why isn't God doing more? I wonder if God's looking down and saying, why aren't my people doing more? Why aren't my people praying because I've given them the ability to do this and I'm waiting for them to pray so why aren't they praying Uh, the great pastor E.M. Bounds he wrote many many books on prayer he said the same thing he said you want you look around the world and see the way things are it's simply because God's people aren't praying and if they are they aren't praying the way that God has enabled us to pray And so prayer really does change everything because God has elected to wait on some scenarios. There's scenarios where God is going to intervene. The way what Isaiah is talking about here about stepping in is he steps in in the form of Jesus. He steps in because only he can make things right. Only he can bring the redemption. And so God does step in. He intervenes. But in other scenarios, God chooses to wait for his people to do something. God waits for his people to, to pray. And so with that, and this idea that God is waiting, so how do we pray? And that brings us to Luke 11, which is where we were last week, and we're going to continue this week. Uh, Luke 11, <clears throat> it starts off uh, chapters, <coughs> chapter 11, verse 2 to 4, um, is what's called the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. <clears throat> Give us this day our daily bread. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give us the strength to overcome the temptations. <clears throat> and what I want to say about that, I'm not going to pull it up, Uh, Because we all know the Lord's Prayer. What Jesus is giving the disciples isn't a poem to be recited. It's not a prayer that we need to say every single day when we go to pray. But he's given us a model. Our Father in heaven. Our Father, because God is a close God, he's not abandoned us. He's nearer than we sometimes give him credit for. But he is in heaven. He is above. He's all-powerful. He is set apart from us. But he gives us this model, and the encouragement is we'll work through the praise and the asking God for our needs and forgiving us, and then helping us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And and God, give us the strength to overcome the challenges that are going to come our way. God, and this is the model, and then God gets into verse 5, or Jesus gets into verse 5, and he says this. He says, then teaching them more about prayer, He used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, Though he won't do it for his friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. <clears throat> we, and for, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story before, right? The neighbor comes and he knocks on the door and at first the guy who's in bed says no, 
<coughs> but you keep knocking, you keep asking, and eventually he gets out of bed, he gets you the three loaves of bread, and then you're able to feed your guest. And what has often been taught about this story is the importance of persistence. And I, and I agree with that. I agree that we need to be persistent in prayer. I think sometimes in our culture, we often just pray for something once and expect God to move. And God asks us to be not just a one and done, but to see it through. To keep praying until, either keep praying until something happens, or keep praying until God says, okay, you just need to wait. And sometimes God just simply says no. God always answers our prayers. It's just a matter of what is the answer and are we going to be happy with the answer. So the encouragement is to keep praying, to be persistent in prayer. And so Jesus picks up on this in the next verse. Um, In verse 9, he says, So I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And I really like how that how the New Living Translation says this. It captures the Greek, that idea of keep on. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Just keep knocking on that door till God chooses to open it. Keep on asking for that prayer request until God gives it to you or until He gives you an answer. Keep seeking that lost thing until either you find it or God says something about it. But just keep on Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. And that is a really good reminder as this idea of, well, I've prayed for it once, it should be good. That's a really entitled approach to our Heavenly Father, and we need to avoid that entitled mindset. Instead, we need to be people who are persistent in prayer. And one of the things we're going to talk about is we have some things that we've set aside as a church that we are going to take all year to pray about. We're going to pray them through right to the end of 2024, either until God moves, God says something about it, or God answers us. And so we're going to put those prayer requests up at the end, and I want you to be ready for them. Uh, They're going to come up all the time, so don't worry about having to write them down. But I want to put a slightly different angle on this story back to the story about the neighbors because there's something going on that I think we often miss in our North American context. Because as we read through scripture, we need to remember that there's a culture being written about, right? Jesus, or in this case, Luke isn't writing to a church in Carlisle in 2024. He's writing to Greeks and to Jews and he's telling the story and there's things that that the original audience understood that we sometimes miss. And in fact, there's even a way, there's even a word in the story that we sometimes mistranslate and because of it, it changes the way we look at the story. So we go back to the story about the neighbor. And I want to put myself in the story. Chances are, if you're strolling to town at midnight and you're looking for somewhere to stop and grab some food, I will be up. I don't know why. I'm usually up around midnight uh, watching something. It's like mine and Michelle's quiet time. The kids are in bed. Hopefully they're sleeping by now. And and we're just kind of unwinding for the day. So chances are, you come in at midnight, I'll be there. But if you show up on like Friday or Saturday, 
And you show up with too many people, the groceries are a little slim around the house. My kids have probably eaten everything in the pantry. The deep freeze is probably looking a little scarce. You know, we haven't run out, especially like this week where it's minus 40. And you have absolutely no motivation to leave the house. Um, you know, things start getting a little scarce. <coughs> and what is happening in this story is that when the guest arrives at the person's house at midnight and he has no food, it is not just the host's responsibility to feed him. In that culture, <clears throat> if you arrived at a village, it wasn't just the person you were staying with who was supposed to take care of you, it was the responsibility of the whole village. And so when the guy has his guest and he, he realizes he's got no bread to feed, the, feed his guest and he runs to the neighbor's house, it's actually the neighbor's responsibility to get up and, and help him because the goal is that when, the neighbor, when this guest leaves, it's not, man, my host was awesome. It's, man, that village was so accommodating. It's so hospitable. I, I can't wait to come back. The village took ownership of the guest. You are not just the guest of the person. You're the guest of the whole community. And this responsibility was taken so seriously that when Jesus says that the guy knocks on the door and the response is, well, the door's locked and my family's in bed, I can't help you, the listeners that Jesus was talking to probably would have started laughing. Because this would have been an absolutely impossible scenario. There's absolutely no scenario in that day where that would be the response. The response would have been the guy would have jumped out of bed and given him four loaves of bread just to play it safe. Because what happens is, and this is something that we have kind of lost, in those days they had this understanding of honor and shame. And what would have happened to this family if this guy hadn't gotten up, had kind of stuck to his guns and refused to get up, he would have brought shame to his family. Because what would have happened? So if I'm the guy and I go to Bill's house, there's no Bill in our church, so that's why I'm picking on him. Um, If I go to Bill's house and I go, boom, 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 I need food, I have a guest and we're out. Do you have anything that you could spare me? And the response is no, my wife and I are in bed, the door's locked, leave me alone. Well, what do I have to do? I still have to find food. And it's midnight, so the, even the confectionery is closed. So I'll just go to the next house. And I saw boom, 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 boom. Hey, I need food, I have a guest, I have nothing to feed them. And, and he jumps up, and he rushes, and he finds food, and he gives it to me. What's the first question the next neighbor asks? Why did you go to so-and-so? I did, but Bill wouldn't give me anything. Do you know what kind of news travels fastest? Bad news. By the time Bill and his family would have gotten up in the morning, the whole community would have known what had happened, and his family would have put put to shame. Shame on you. You didn't take your responsibility to be a good host seriously. Shame on you. And that would have been devastating for this family. The word persistence here in the Greek, I like what the NLT did. They said shameless persistence. It's actually, two, <clears throat> it's actually both ways that you can translate this Greek word, and they've just used both to kind of make a point. <clears throat> 
But most translations say that because of your persistence, your neighbor helps. Persistence is the positive way to translate this word. The negative way to translate this word is shameless. And in fact, in the New Testament, the, the negative translation is the one that is most often used. In fact, this, this occurrence in Luke, where the English translators chose to use persistence, is the only time it's ever used in a positive way. It's almost always used in the negative. And so instead of reading the story and seeing the persistence of the guy who's doing the knocking, what, what one commentator suggested is actually what's going on is the guy who's in bed in the attempt to remain shameless and the attempt to avoid bringing shame to his family gets up. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is that if this neighbor who's laying in bed and really doesn't want to help you, but for the sake of shame, for the sake of keeping his family free of shame and embarrassment, gets out of bed, how much more your loving Father who desires to answer prayer, who desires to give you good things, how much more is he going to answer? How much more is he going to rise to the occasion and help you out? So on one hand, yes, this teaching is we need to be persistent. But the other hand is if, if this person who really doesn't want to help you still helps you, how much more is your Heavenly Father who does want to help you going to rise to the occasion and do immeasurably more than you could ever hope or imagine? Because it changes how we read the next verses. We go back to verse <clears throat> 9 and 10 where it says, keep on asking. Not only is it a call to be persistent in the things that we're asking for, but it's also a call to keep asking for everything. Don't hold back. Your Heavenly Father wants to help. He wants to answer your prayer. So keep asking for everything. Keep seeking Him for everything. Keep knock, knock on every door. Don't hold back because God isn't calling us to hold back. God wants to keep answering our prayers over and over and over again. And the Apostle James says this, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. So not only is it we pray and pray consistent, persistent prayers, <clears throat> but we pray for everything. I've been saying a lot since the beginning of the year, we want to be a pray first people, and this is what I mean. Everything, every scenario, every conflict, every inconvenience, everything that's going on in our life, run to God first. Go to Him about everything and anything because God wants to answer our prayers. And He says this, so right after the keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, he says this, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And the reason that... <clears throat> the reason that Luke says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit is because... As far as good gifts, for Luke, who is writing this after Pentecost, after Acts 2, when God pours His Holy Spirit on His disciples, when it comes to good gifts, the Holy Spirit is the best of the best. God not only wants to answer our prayers, but He wants to give us good things. 
He wants to pour out good gifts on us. And the best gift of all was the Holy Spirit that gives us the gifts and the talents and everything we need to represent Him well, to see the kingdom of God taken to the farthest reaches of the earth. God doesn't want to just give us what we ask for. He wants to give us good things. And God wants to answer our prayers. Jesus said this in Matthew 21. He said, pray for anything. If you have faith, you'll receive it. Pray for what? Just the big, no. It doesn't say just the big things. It doesn't say don't just pray for X, Y, and Z. He says, pray for anything. And if you have faith, you'll receive it. In another spot, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, you'll receive it. Now, there are stipulations to that, and we're going to get into that in a couple weeks later, but just for the sake of time, we need to grasp onto this. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you can pray for anything in my name, and you will receive it. And not only will you ask for it, Jesus says, says that or Paul writes this in Ephesians 3:20 he says now all to all glory to God who is able through his ministry through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think the one pastor i was reading was saying that he had a scenario where he had to ask for finances on behalf of the church and he didn't even get to pray about it and God answered the prayer. He just had the thought go past his brain and God had already sent somebody because God doesn't just want to answer the prayers that we have. He wants to do infinitely more than we might ask. He wants to do above and beyond because he's a good God. And just like our good father wants to spoil his kids, we serve a good God who wants to spoil us. He wants to do good things. And I say all this to encourage us that prayer really does change everything. God waits for our prayers before he moves. And so we need to pray constantly. One one author said that one of the greatest tragedies in our spiritual life is not unanswered prayer, but it's unoffered prayer. They said before, James says, the apostle James says in his book, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And there's a whole list of reasons why we might not be asking but the reality is is that we just have to be humble enough to go to our father and say god fill in the blank what is it you need do you need a relationship healed do you need help with your finances do you need physical healing what what is it that you need just go to your heavenly father who loves you who promises to answer your prayers who wants to answer your prayers desires to give you good gifts and is able and powerful enough to do infinitely more than you could even think or imagine prayer changes everything and the great the greatest tragedy in our prayer in our prayer life is not the unanswered prayer it's the one that goes unoffered Wayne Gretzky said that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, you miss out on 100% of the prayers you don't pray for. So this morning, to close, I want to share with you our 2024 prayer goals is what I'm calling them. 
Like I said, these are going to be things that are going to pop up every single Sunday. I want to unpack them for you today so you kind of get the heart and the vision behind them. And then throughout the year, I'll unpack one or two of them in our prayer time so that we continue to pray. But we have these great big goals that we have, and we are believing that this is the year that we're just going to pray them through until something happens. So here they are. 2024 prayer goals. Number one, we have a goal to pay off our mortgage this year. Our renewal is up in August, and we're just believing that we don't have to renew it. We're just going to pay it off and be done. And we as a church with three buildings, believe it or not, are going to be mortgage-free. We're believing for that. Number two, we're praying for more worship team members. We love our worship team. We have our three singers who come faithfully. We have two singers that come faithfully and one or two that are kind of in the mix. But we want to believe for more worshipers, more people on stage to use their gifts and their talents so to create, to lead us into praise and thanksgiving so that our worshipers that we have already, they get the break. They don't get wore out. They don't grow weary of doing what God has called them to do. And so we're praying for more worship team members. We're praying for 12 new salvations this year. Um, We don't have because we don't ask. So we're going to pray that we have 12 people walk through the doors of one church and they give their hearts to Jesus for the very first time this year. That's one a month. It's not a big goal, but we've got to start somewhere. So we're believing for 12 new believers. Jesus has called us to make disciples, so we're looking for 12 new disciples. We're asking for a culture of prayer to take root as i've been saying we're starting the year off with a hyper focus on prayer and we're really believing that we are going to be a pray first people god said that my temple is going to be a house of prayer for all nations <clears throat> and our that you are the temple church you are the you are the <laughs> you're the temple that houses the holy spirit and we want each and every one of you when we come together and in your personal life to be strong, confident, and to flourish in your prayer life. We want a culture of prayer to take root in our church. Number five, forgiveness would spread through the church and the community. We have a community, we have two communities that we serve in, in this church in our with our oh. one church serves two communities where unforgiveness is running rampant. And unfortunately, it has even seeped into our church a little bit. And where God has called us to be a people who forgive, who forgive freely, who don't hold back, who forgive, as Jesus told Peter, 70 times, seven times a day we would forgive somebody. And we need to root this unforgiveness out. We need to start letting go of the wrongs done to us. And we need to be a people who forgive because God so freely forgives us. And as we embrace forgiveness and experience the freedom that comes with it, we're just going to experience life in a whole new way. So we're praying that forgiveness would sweep through our communities and through our church. Our next campus site, one of the things Michelle and I set out to do was every five years we wanted to at least be considering a new campus. We are going to continue working on Redverse, and we're going to continue working on the Youth Center, and we are believing for great and amazing things to happen in the Redverse campus. And as we continue to work on it, we know that God has called us to the communities of our corner of the province, and there's so many communities in our area that don't have a healthy Christ-centered church. And so we want to be seeking God, where's the next spot? 
And what does it look like? And, and is it going to be different than your typical church? And so where is our next campus site? And as we think of this really big idea of where is the next campus, um, it makes sense that we want to add another staff. We want another full-time pastor here at one church because we already have three campuses going. If we add a fourth, I'm going to need a little bit of help. And so we're believing that we're going to be a church that is strong, healthy enough to support two staff members that are going to continue to work with the ministries that we have and to continue to see one church be the effective, kingdom-minded, kingdom-gold church that God has called us to be. So these are the big seven. We may add to them throughout the year, but we're going to mark them. As these prayer requests get answered, we're going to mark them as answered because when we see God move, our faith is built up. Our, we are encouraged to continue to pray and to Seek Him on all things. So these are the big seven. We're going to put them up somewhere in the church so you can see them. They're going to pop up every Sunday on the slides. Um, when we gather for prayer, these things are going to be front and center for us to pray about. <clears throat> but my encouragement is not only that we have, we as a church, as a body, have these prayer goals. My encouragement for you is what are the things you're praying for this year? What are the things that you need God to move in? And are you willing to take 2024 and intentionally pray into them? Maybe it's a family member who's far from God and you really need God to just intervene. So pray into it. And believe that you serve a God who's gonna, who wants to answer that prayer. Pray into your finances. Pray into your work situation. Pray into your family. And just believe that we serve a good, big God who wants, to, who wants to answer those prayers. And my encouragement for you is to write them down. Write down those prayer requests so that when they are answered, you can mark them as answered and go back and be like, wow, look at the way God has moved in my life. Look at the way God has moved in my spirituality. <clears throat> so with that, I'm going to close with prayer. I'm going to put these requests up. They're going to be on a 15-minute loop. My encouragement for you this morning is wherever you are to pray through these things, to believe with us that God is going to answer these prayers. But not only that, I encourage you to make a list of things that you need God to move in. You don't have to wait for the pastor. You don't have to wait for anyone else to pray for it. I'm, I'm encouraging you. You serve a God who wants to answer your prayers. And not only that, we serve a God who is more than able to answer the prayers that you have. You just have to ask. Prayer changes everything. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the good God, that you are the good Father who loves to give his sons and daughters good things. And so God, I'm believing, I'm believing you for these things. I'm believing your promises that if we ask in your name, that you will do it. That you are aware of our thoughts and that you are capable of doing immeasurably more. So God, stir in each and every one of us a heart to pray. To believe that prayer really does change everything and that we would unlock the power of the Almighty who created heaven and earth to just pour into every situation and to do what only you can do. 
God, move in us. God, give us a heart for our community as we pray for 12 new disciples this year. I pray, God, that we would see them and that you would answer this prayer quicker than we could imagine. We'll just keep praying for 12 more and 12 more. And God, that your kingdom would grow by making new disciples every single day, every single week, Lord. We're believing for new disciples. We're believing for finances to set us free from debt. God, that you would just move in a way that only you can move. I pray that for us as a church collectively, and I pray that for every individual, that we would just pray because we believe that prayer really does change everything. Open our eyes to see what we need to see. Help us know what we need to know. And God, may we pray it through. And we just be a people who keep on praying until something happens. I pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so, as I said, I'm going to give you some time this morning. Here are the seven things we're praying for. Take some time this morning, pray through them. Uh, if you've got to run, got to log off, God bless. Have a great week. And uh, we look forward to seeing you Wednesday, if not Sunday, weather permitting. God bless.